Hey, so glad that you're here. Uh, As Andy said, we believe it's no accident that you are here this morning. Every single one of you is here for a reason. Uh, God has something very specific, very personal that he wants to speak to every single one of us. And uh, we want you to to know if it's your first time here, if you're visiting with us, uh, we want to say welcome. And we pray that you feel loved uh, and encouraged today. My name is John, and uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, would love to do that uh, as well. Hey, I have got some really big, exciting news about Lutheran Church to Hope Des Moines. You ready for it? I figured you would be. I didn't expect everybody would say no. Huge news, okay? This is like breaking news, like Fox News and CNN haven't got a hold of this yet, okay? Breaking news, really big news. You ready for this? We're staying open this summer. Okay. It's a decent decent response. I expected crickets uh, in that sense, but yeah. Weren't you wondering if we were going to stay open? Like Lutheran Church of Hope is going to be open this summer. And the crowds rejoiced. That's awesome. Can you believe it? We're going to worship God. We are going to worship the living God every single week. Can you believe it? Oh, it's just such good news. I just heard that God just spoke to me this week and said, Hey, you know what? Why don't you just keep on going right through the summer? This is so much fun. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and some of you are sitting there going, wait a minute, aren't we always open? I don't, I don't get it. Why would we shut down? Well, that is a really great, great question. The answer is yes, but sometimes all of us need a little reminder this time of year. Summer means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I don't know what it means to you. For some of you, it's family vacations. For other of you, it's, it's fishing or, or hunting. For some of you, it's the, the, the kids are out of school, so the, the change of schedule and the change of pace uh, happens, it's vacations, it's projects around the house, whatever it is. Well, whatever summer means to you this year, we do have a tendency, and this is just a word of warning, it's a prescriptive uh, sort of talk here, a word of warning. Sometimes the relaxed, kind of laid back, apathetic, kind of laziness of our culture in the summer, if we're not careful, just a word of warning, can sort of trickle into our spiritual lives as well. And if we're not careful during certain seasons, including this season of summer when it's nice outside and I just want to wear my sandals and just run around barefoot and relax, if we're not careful, we can grow a little lazy and apathetic in our walk with God as well. Now, don't get me wrong. There are no, there's nothing wrong with relaxing. Every single one of you should be taking a Sabbath every single week. God did. If God rested and we're made in his image, we should be taking a Sabbath. You should take a vacation. I encourage it. I am pro-vacation. Take lots of them, okay? I'm talking about what's going on in here, okay? And sometimes if we're not careful, we can grow weary and apathetic inside here. And the reason I'm saying this to you is because worship is a get-to, not a got-to, right? It's not a guilt trip. It's a, because God is exploding his love in my heart, why would I want, not want to come and share that with people around me? And I love, I love, I love how this verse from Hebrews 10 uh, puts it. And let's, this is up on the screen. Let's read this together. This was spoken to the early church in the book of Hebrews. Let's read this together. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the early church was being encouraged that worship is a get-to, not a got-to, so don't grow apathetic and stop 
gathering together because something happens here on Sunday morning that can't happen anywhere else. It can't happen in your PJs watching it online, although that's a great option. It can't happen just listening to a podcast. It can't happen sitting alone in your living room. That's great. We want you to study God's word and connect with him individually. But there's a reason we gather corporately. I was watching uh, television the other day, and all these, the television network stations are coming out with their brand new shows. And one, their big tagline was, it's the can't miss event of the summer. And I go, really? Watching people bicker and argue and gossip is the can't miss event of the summer? And I'm thinking, you know, you know what's really the can't miss event that I don't want to miss? This. I don't know if you feel that, but there's been some weeks if I preach at one of our other campuses or, or Tiffany and I are gone for some reason and I miss one week, I feel like I've been gone for a year. Does anybody else feel like that? Like you've just been away, Yeah, you've been away from your family. We're meant to be connected. So this is not a guilt trip. This is not legalistic. This is your pastor saying, go and take vacations and have ice pops and ice cream and kick your feet up and take your, take your shoes off this summer, okay? At the same time, watch what's happening inside of here, okay? So if you get it, say got it. Get it? Got it. Good. Awesome. Okay. So if you uh, think about it, summer is a time when we're also producing a lot of fruit. Everything around us in nature is producing fruit, including, even though it doesn't look like it, our tree. Everybody go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. I know, I know. It's overwhelming. You're so impressed with the fruit that's being produced. Well, as we've been entering into this new sermon series called Healthy Church, we are giving you a visual of what it looks like to start with the roots in God's love, in faith. And as we grow, you notice the last few weeks this tree is getting bigger. And at some point, we're going to cut the roof off because I think it's just going to keep growing, right? And somehow these, these, uh, these branches just keep magically appearing. I haven't been over there during the week here at Hubble going, grow, right? But when we put our roots down in God's love, the fruit is naturally produced. And that's what it's like to be a healthy church. When we start with our roots in God's love, it produces and have an, has an impact in all these other areas of our lives. A couple weeks ago, we talked about healthy faith. Last week, Andy talked about that God's love produces in us healthy family structures. We contend for each other. We love each other. And so today, we're going to explore how healthy churches also create healthy friendships. Healthy friendships. Now, friendship, that's not what you would tend to think would be on the list. If we had five or six weeks to cover the main important things of what it means to be a healthy church, some of you are thinking, friendship? Well, that's kind of cheeseball, isn't it? Right? Like, that, that's just kind of a Hollywood thing, right? I have good friends, right? And some of you might be wondering, why talk about friendship? Of all the deep theological topics that we could talk about, why talk about friends? Well, because it's everywhere. It's written on our hearts and it's written all over culture in the stories and the movies that we love. Think about it. I'm going to throw up a few famous friendships up on the screen, and you tell me if you know what they are. So go ahead and throw that first one up there. Uh, who's this? Robin Hood and Little John. The cartoon one, the best one, of course, right? That's what I grew up with, right? That's what Robin Hood and Little John looked like, right? The best of friends. They can't do it together. They can't rescue Maid Marian unless they're together. How about the next one? See if you know who these people are. How about them? Remember that one, Right? It's all over the place. You've got to have a best friend if you're going to fight crime, right? 
Batman and Robin, right? How about the next one? See if you know who this is. Milo and Otis, right? That's the manliest movie I could think of, right? Some of you are like, oh, that's cute. No, you can't take them home with you, right? But they're best friends. They do life together. How about the next one? How about these people here? Yeah, duh, friends, right? The best example of what real friendship on television is really like, right? Maybe not so much, right? Okay, uh, how about this one? Go ahead and go to the next one. Yeah, everybody do it the best. Say Forrest Gump. Good, now we're from Alabama. That's right, Forrest and Bubba, right? And they're shrimping. They're shrimp boat captains, right? They have to do it together. They need each other as friends. And last but not least, the most deep theological example of friendship ever, right? Harry and Lloyd, right? And when you think about them, you think about now, here's real friends, all right? Let's take a look. Hey, I tell you what, if friends can't do that for each other, what can they do, right? That's the best example uh, of what we got. Friends literally stick together in tough times, right? You know what I'm saying? So, of the stories of great friendship are written all over the stories that we love all over our culture. But you might say that, John, that's great. Of course, it comes easy for Hollywood and the friendships always work out in the end. But what about me? Well, the good news for us this morning is that friendship's not just a Hollywood thing. Like I said, it's written on our hearts. It's a human thing. Turns out the need for relationship, the need for genuine, authentic friendship is how you and I were created. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's the very first book, way at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And we're just going to take a look at this one verse, and it's going to be very telling for us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So get out your Bibles. We're going to be looking up a lot of verses today. So you remember at the beginning of the story, after God has created everything, he saved his masterpiece, us, men and women, for last. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, you may have read that a thousand times and you've overlooked the pronoun. Don't overlook the pronoun us, meaning more than one. Does that mean we have more than one God? No. It means that we worship a God who is three in one. We call that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I mean, God is speaking here in a plural sense, and it'd be helpful to remind ourselves that of the many attributes of God is that he is three in one, which means that God is in relationship with himself. From the beginning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from the beginning of time, uh, throughout history and what we read in the Bible, and still today, they are working together, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a common mission in our lives. So when God says, let us make humans in our image, among the many ways that we are image bearers, every single one of you are image bearers of God, the most basic is that we are created, I love this, how one theologian writes this, we were created out of the laughter of the Trinity. Meaning they were so in love. Meaning there was so much joy that it just exploded and created us in his image. And if we are in his image, that means we were created in relationship for relationship. That's how you are wired up. And you can try to deny it and you can try to to shove it aside, but that's what's written on our very hearts. 
In fact, this theme of friendship pops up again. We're going to do some Bible study here today. So turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. I bet you haven't gone to that one recently too much. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's a little bit farther on, kind of towards the middle of your Bible in the Old Testament. The book of Ecclesiastes. And this is a book written by King David's son Solomon, who is said to be one of the wisest men who ever lived. And let's see what he has to say about relationships. So he's looking back on his life and saying, okay, what's really important? What did I learn from being king? What did I learn from from having everything I could ever want? And so we read this. We're going to start in verse 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. And when scripture says brother, usually they're referring to friend. So it could mean brother, sister, male, female, friend. Okay? So he had neither son nor friend. There was no end to his toil, meaning he kept working and working and working. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? For whom am I working, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? And then he said, this is crazy, listen to this. This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Meaning Solomon had everything that the world could offer. Money, wealth, power, women in those days, anything that a man could want. And at the end of the day, he's saying, I'm empty. Well, wait a minute, you're saying, this is the, one of the richest men who ever lived. How could he be empty? Because you can be rich on things of the world and completely empty when it comes to relationships. He had wealth, he had uh, financial prosperity, he had relational poverty. Does that describe you today? Can you resonate with that? And so Solomon goes on to write in, uh, in verse 9. I think we throw this one up on the screen. Verse 9. Let's read this together. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. In other words, you were not created to live life alone. You were created for real, deep, true friendships. And so what I want to propose to you this morning is that healthy churches have healthy friendships that go way beyond Sunday morning. Let me say that again. Health, the healthiest churches have healthy friendships that go way beyond the hour that we spend together every single week. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, we're not just called to be friends, we are family. Those people sitting next to you this morning are your brothers and sisters. And some of you are thinking, oh man, do I get a choice, right? They're your brothers and sisters, which means the deepest thing about you is the deepest thing about that person sitting next to you, meaning that we are all sinners in need of a savior, amen? We're all in need of grace. So the deepest thing about me is the deepest thing about you. That's a lot in common. That's deep, okay? That's soul-level stuff, okay? There's a lot of other things that you could have in common with other friends, but that's what we have in common. The second reason, reason healthy churches need healthy friendships is this, because real life happens out there. Real life happens out there, and real friendships are forged in the fire of the ups and downs of real life. 
We can try to create that in our little bubble here on Sunday mornings, but real friendships happen when they're refining each other out in real life. And so we pause there for a second, and I say, if only it was that easy. Just kind of pause and just think about, do a little relational inventory in your life right now. If only we could go around the room today and every one of us could say, I am perfectly content, I am satisfied, I am deeply loved, and I am known by others. I'm perfectly content with my friendships, with my relational life. I've got people that are pouring into me, I'm pouring into others. I've got all the friends I could ever want, I am filled up. Could any one of us say that 100%? I don't think so. So something has gone wrong. It comes very easy and naturally when we're growing up in school, and for a lot of you, you had great friendships in college. You're living in the dorms, you're living on campus, and they're right there. But all of a sudden, we grow up and we become adults, and all of a sudden, it's a lot more difficult to have really good friends, isn't it? You ever notice that? It's really difficult to have good friends as adults. And so before we can talk about what Scripture says a real friend is, we've got to be honest about the state of friendship in our culture. And I think the biggest barrier might be our definition of what a friend is. Thanks to, and I love it, this wonderful, beautiful thing called Facebook. Anybody on Facebook? This little phenomenon that's saying, okay, a few of you. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Facebook. I use it personally. We use it as a church. It's a great way to connect. There, there's my little plug for the church Facebook page. Go, go friend us, right? But understand what a friend is. This is a very helpful tool, and a majority of us use it, and therein lies the danger. Okay, think about this for a second. Therein lies the danger. Some of you are thinking, John, I'm set. I've got plenty of friends, 897 of them. And I've got 400 more following me on Twitter. I'm pretty popular. Okay? I'm connected. Are you? Are you? I wonder if our, in our culture of immediacy, when it comes to friendship, we've exchanged quality for quantity. We're so busy trying to accumulate as many followers and as many friends as we can, but I wonder how many of us could say we have real, true, deep friendships. And maybe we've started believing that true friendship is at the other end of a mouse click rather than in the ups and downs of doing life together every day. In the person that knows the real you, not just people that know the smiley you in your profile picture. It's really easy to hide online. In fact, guys, listen to this. Guys, are you with me? Guys? Okay, good four of you here. All right. In fact, a study was done not too long ago of men in the church. That's you guys, men in the church. And they said, be truly honest. How many real, true, honest friends do you have? Not just the guys that you see once a week on Sunday and say, hey, how's the coffee? Good. Uh, Weather's good. Bears and beer and stuff like that, right? We're not talking about that. I'm not talking about your golfing buddies. I'm not talking about the guys that are in the cubicle next to you, okay? How many real, true, honest friends do you have? Not just the guys even you see once a week in Bible study. 
How many real, honest friends do you have? Be yourself, be completely honest. The results, the average man in the church has 0.7 true friends. There's a problem with this. That's not even a whole person. That's three-fourths of a man. That's not even one good friend. But ladies, you're not off the hook either. I mean, do an honest inventory. Ask yourself the same question. Okay? So here's what ends up happening. I think of because the way that we're living currently, there's a couple things that happen. I'll try to move this around so everybody can see it. There's a couple things that happen. One of them, the first one is, because we're not so great at friendship, is we compartmentalize. And if your life is this pie, there's a lot of different segments to our lives. And we start breaking up our friendships into these different groups. And you might say, okay, I've got my work friends, right? I've got my golfing buddies. I've got the people in my small group. I've got the people I see on Sunday at church. I've got my college friends. Boy, do we have a good time. And we start breaking up our friendship circles into all of these different compartments. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I want you to have lots of different friends. My challenge for you this morning is, are you the same person here as you are here, as you are here, as you are here, as you are here? And if not, why not? Just think about that. Ask the deeper, tougher question of yourself. Why can't I be the same person I am on Sunday morning when I'm with my old college buddies? Why do I have to be different at work than I am in my small group? And so we compartmentalize. That's one of the things that we do. For some of you, you just stuff it and we isolate. So this is just, I'm going to overwhelm you with my artistic skill, okay? And we're over here floating by ourselves and what we do is we isolate. And we pull ourselves out of any opportunity for friendship. Some of you are compartmentalizing. Some of you just isolate over and over and over. And when anybody, anybody, opposite gender, same gender, starts to get close to you, those walls get thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker, and you isolate. And you miss out on how God has created you. And you say, you know what? I'm less likely to get hurt if I just don't love at all. Because then there's not the opportunity for it to get thrown back in my face. The problem is, I don't see this and I don't see this anywhere in Scripture. In fact, we see the exact opposite. And good for us, Scripture has a lot of great examples of what a great friendship looks like. And so, as opposed to that, we're going to discover what God has created us for. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to our Scripture today, 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. 18. So as we dig into this, I want you to think about where am I at? Am I compartmentalizing? Am I isolating? What does scripture have to say about that? Page 225, if you're in the Bibles in the rows. Many of you know King David. You ever heard of King David? Pretty famous guy, right? A lot of you know he was a great king. A lot of you know he's a great Bible hero because David defeated Goliath, right? We all know that story. But what you may not know is that what made David great in many ways was the great friendships 
that he had. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, who was king, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Wow. Do you have any friends that you would say were one in spirit? That's a challenge. And he loved him, listen to this, he loved him as himself. Verse 2, from that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Saul and David don't like each other very much right now. Verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him, listen to this, as himself. A couple things to note here. First of all, before David is king, Saul's growing more and more jealous. Remember the story? So David is fearing for his life. There's not a lot of people in the, in the uh, courts of the king that are big David fans right now. And he's fearing for his life, but guess who sticks by his side? Jonathan. It's one of my favorite stories. Jonathan, how is Jonathan related to Saul? He's his son. This is how deep Jonathan's loyalty runs for David. He's saying, I don't like what you're doing, Dad, and I actually have a deeper loyalty with David because we are one in spirit. Saul, your and my spirits don't line up right now. And so Jonathan demonstrates the first quality of a great friend. If you're keeping score at home, write this down. The first thing I want you to remember today about a great friend, great friends love the other person as they love themselves. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself, meaning he puts David's well-being in front of his own. You think about it, that happens to be the greatest commandment. Jesus is asked, boil it down, boil all the 600 and some commandments of the Old Testament, Jesus to one. And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So before Jesus even uttered those things, Jonathan is living that out. So just pause for a second. Love somebody else as much as you love yourself. I'm not good at that, okay? My name is John, and I have a problem, okay? I'm selfish. I'm really selfish. You know what brings that to the surface more than anything? Being married. You know what brings it to the surface even more? Having a child, right? I'm not first. I'm not second. I'm third. We are selfish people, and that pushes against our ability to have really good friendships. If Jonathan teaches us anything, he says, you dial into the spirit of God that's living inside of you, not the spirit of the selfish nature. Sometimes I, I think about all the time I spend thinking about me and meeting my needs, and I think, what if I took all that energy and all that motivation and passion, and I took that and I put it in to loving and serving others. I'd be a pretty good friend. Probably better than I am now. And I'm not good at relationships. Some of you are saying, yeah, after the week that I've had, I'm not very good at relationships either. So let's just admit that, right? Let's just be real. Let's just be honest about that. And so imagine if I, if I, if I poured all that into others. So imagine that I start loving people as I love myself. That means I long for my friends to succeed if just as much, if not more, than I do. 
Meaning I don't just send an email of sympathy. I'm sitting on your front porch with you until dark, crying or laughing. Meaning I don't just send a card for the special event in your life. I'm there celebrating and partying with you until you have to kick me out. That's what friends do. Here's the thing. Sacrificial love like Jonathan had for David requires me, requires us to sacrifice something. We don't like to be inconvenienced. Okay? We naturally think of ourselves, and most likely what you're going to need to sacrifice is your time, your schedule, your convenience, even the fear that many of you have of getting close to another human being. Real friendship is going to require you to sacrifice Something Because here's the thing, you can't love well when you're closed off. You can't love well when you're isolating yourself because you've got to move into action, which is the second key that we learn from Jonathan this morning. Skip ahead to chapter 19, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1. We're going to move ahead in the story a little bit. The second key to a great friendship is in verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. Skip ahead to verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and he has done what he has done has benefited you greatly. Skip ahead. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David? By killing him for no reason. I don't know about you, but I want a guy like that in my life. Whatever kind of friend you're looking for, I want a male in my life. I want a female in my life like that. I wonder this morning, who's got your back? And maybe more importantly, whose do you have? Do you have those kind of friendships? And here's the second key to great friendships. Your love moves you into action for the other person. Your love moves you into action for the other person. It would have been so much easier in this story for Jonathan to simply say, okay, David, so I guess the word on the street is everybody wants to kill you and Saul really hates you. And so tell you what, brother, we're really good friends. I'll be praying for you. (laughs) What? No, that's not what a friend does, right? Jonathan steps right into battle. He is intentional and he has his friends back even though it might cost him his life. This is my brother. This is my sister. This is my friend. And we are going down together if we're going down, linked arm in arm. Who do you have in your life that does that for you? Who are you doing that for? It's biblical. It's all over this story. David and Jonathan. In that moment, David needed a friend who was willing to walk the walk, not just talk about good friendship. Yeah, we're best buddies. Yeah, we're best gal friends. We're BFFs. Are you? Show it. Demonstrate that. Love is a verb. Amen? Love is a verb. It reminds me so vividly of a scene with a couple of the the pairs of friends. It's not Harry and Lloyd again. But it's a couple of those great friends that we saw at the beginning, Forrest and Bubba. And if you can look past the accent, as we already talked about, as you watch this scene, I want you to think about it in terms of the friendships in your life. 
who would come for you if you were calling out in need? Do you have a friend like Forrest? Let's take a look. Even Forrest knew that a best good friend isn't something you can just find around the corner. I love how Proverbs 17, 17 puts it. This is more wisdom from Solomon. As we think about that scene, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother or a sister is born for a time of adversity. Men, women, just the same, all of us. Do you have a friend like Jonathan? Do you have a friend like Forrest who you could call and would come for you? So I was talking with a mentor of mine. He once gave me this definition of a true friend. And he said this. John, how many people do you have in your life that you could call at 3 a.m.? That's in the morning. How many people do you have that you could call at 3 a.m. if your marriage is on the rocks? If a relationship just ended? If you lost your job? If you're so weary of being a parent? And do they know when to offer advice and when to shut their mouth and listen and be with you? My question for you this morning, who are your 3 a.m. kind of friends? And are they your Sunday morning friends? Could they be the same people? And yet for David, we know that his great friendships didn't just end with Jonathan, but they extended well into when he was king. Turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. We're just going to look at a couple more passages here. 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's on page 243, if you're in the Bibles that are in the rows there. 2 Samuel 12. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse... One. So when we arrive on the scene, we've talked about this story before. David has just committed a horrible crime. He's taken another woman that's not his own into his bed. He kills uh, her husband. So this is not a good situation for David. This is a time of adversity. And so we pick it up in verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and another poor. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Nathan goes on to tell David this parable of a man who had a lot of power and authority, just like David, who took advantage and used his authority to steal something that was not his. Just this horrible, heinous crime, which is exactly what David did. And we pick it up in verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. And now watch this. Then Nathan said to David, They're friends. They're tight. They are BFFs. At this point, Nathan and David. And what does Nathan say to David? You are that man. Boy, I'm sure that was really easy for him to do. You are that man. Great friends don't just love sacrificially. They speak the truth in love. Great friends speak the truth in love. Who do you have in your life that loves you enough to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? Okay, extend that into your friendships that are in your life group, okay, in your small group. What if we extended that idea into there? Do we go to community? Do we go to our, our small groups, 
so that we can have our choices in life blessed or so that we can be, let ourselves be refined by those people that love us the most? Do you, do you go to small group to say, this is my choices and God's going to have to deal with it and everybody in my small group just tell me how good I am? Okay, you, you can sit at home and tell that to yourself. You don't need other people to do that, right? Are you being refined for other people? What Nathan did is he busted David out of his king category. David is sitting over here saying, I'm the king of Israel, and so I'm going to keep what's my private, private. And Nathan says, no, you are one man, and what you do in secret will always be exposed in the light. So why not live your life in a way that you have no fear of being exposed in any little compartment of your life? Why not just be the same David wherever you are? I don't care if nobody else in the entire kingdom knows about your adultery with Bathsheba. I do. And most importantly, he does. Are you the same person no matter where you are? I love how Proverbs 27 verse 6 puts it. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, that's a really silly image, okay? Right? If you have somebody that doesn't really care for you at all, you might consider them your enemy. They're going to be the person that comes up to you and says, you're just fine. You're great. Just keep doing what you're doing. God doesn't care. He'll just look the other way. Ultimate kissing up, right? But it says a true friend actually wounds you sometimes because it hurts to be called out. It hurts to be told the truth. But those are the kind of people that Scripture says we need to have in our lives because it's going to hurt for a little bit, but at the end, in the end game, it's, we know it's what's best for us. Do you have that person in your life that you can speak truth into and they can speak truth into you and you have a, a foundation of trust that you're not worried, oh, if I say this... We're not going to be friends anymore. Is that a real friend? Is that, is that what you want? And I think if we look at the best friendships in your life, we'll find, listen to this, that the depth of relationship will come through the amount of conflict that you are willing to work through. The depths of relationships in your life will come through the amount of conflict that you are willing to go through. Or are you going to run away when it gets hard? Is that what Forrest did for Bubba? Is that what Harry did for Lloyd? No, right? Isn't it true that the people that we care about and love the most are the ones that will probably hurt the most but end up forgiving the most in the end? Husbands and wives, can you resonate with that? Which ultimately leads us to the final key in a great friendship that I want to hit on today, and it's simply this. We're going to read this together up on the screens. This is from Proverbs 27 verse 17. Let's read this together. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This may sound really strange, but one of the things that I always tell couples when we do pre-marriage counseling is I look at the man. This applies to all of us, not just couples. I look at the man and I say, hey, everybody, look me in the eyes. This is what I do to them, okay? This is the most important part of your premarital counseling right here, okay? Sir, I say, man of God, your job in this relationship is to do whatever it takes to help her become the woman of God that she was created to be. 
That's your number one job. Sharpen her. Point her to Jesus. The one that's going to love her more than you ever will be capable of. And then I say, okay, ma'am, look me in the eyes. Ladies, look me in the eyes. I say, you're not off the hook either. Your job is to do whatever it takes to help him become the man of God that he was created to be. That's your job. I want you to point each other to scripture. I want you to encourage each other. I want you to pray each other, pray for each other, even when you don't feel like praying for each other. And then I thought, well, duh, John, why don't you just apply that to your friendships? Male, female, doesn't matter. Why don't we apply that to our friendships? And I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of friend. This is aspirational, not there yet. I want to be the kind of friend that when other people are around me, they say, I can't help but love this Jesus more. Man, John, you are bad at relationships sometimes. Yes, I am. Man, but when I'm around you, I just love Jesus more and more and more because I see you fall down and I see you mess up and then I see you ask for forgiveness because you know that God's grace is big enough to even cover a schmuck like me. And I, I, that's my prayer for all of us. And so it turns out that it's not Forrest or even one of these great Bible characters that are our main example of a great friend. We have a great leader, a great high priest who is a great example. In John chapter 15, he says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And you've probably heard this verse a few times. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for your friends. At the end of the day, our model of friendship is not some movie or some cultural definition. It's the love that was shown 2,000 years ago on a cross. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, while we were still bad at friendship and bad at relationships, Christ died for us. Think about this, okay? When we did not deserve to be loved, he loved us. When we were but filthy rags, when we were dying in our sin, when we were terrible at relationships, Jesus says, I love you no matter what, so much so that I'm willing to outstretch my arms on a cross and die for you so that we could be reconciled, so that you could know what real community and real friendship is about. Don't throw that gift away. It's what you were created for this morning. And I think about the grace and the love that's been shown to, to, to us on the cross. And so we, we look at the cross, and when we do that, we realize that none of us deserve to be loved. None of us deserve to be forgiven. And so we can offer the same grace that we first received. When you're in a relationship and you've been hurt, when you've been wronged, when you've been judged, when you've been gossiped about, your Savior experienced all those things. And yet while he was suffering, hanging on the cross, he looks down at the people that have wronged him the most and says, Father, forgive them. Now there's an example of friendship. I'll love you no matter what. 
I think one of the ways that God makes grace come alive for us is he blesses us with a few close friends. Now, it'd be ridiculous to give all of you these great keys to friendships but not ask the question, how do I get some good friends? Some of you are like, I want that. A couple things, three things actually. Number one, ask God for one or two really good friends. Not 847, you can't do it. Ask God for one or two really good friends that you can be completely real and honest with and confess to each other. And you can go anywhere in that circle and just be you. And the pressure's off. I can take the mask off and I don't have to hide. So that's number one. Number two, um, this one's a little bit a little bit strange. It might sound a little bit cliche, but be the kind of friend that you would want. Do you gossip about other people? Or do you pray for people? Do you encourage them? Do you build them up? Do you sharpen them? Be the kind of friend that you would want. And last but not least, I know that we say this every week, but I really believe this, that the best friendships that we can have are right here and right here. And there's the people sitting around you right now. I want you to have friends in all those other quadrants, but I long for every single one of you to find a person that's in this room right now and be able to be friends with them. Maybe today's the day to join a life group. Men's, women's, couples. So what I want you to do right now is just take out your bulletin and there's a little place for notes if you haven't written all over that. Just take a little piece of that paper. Everybody do this. Just take out your bulletin right now. And I want you to take a pen. It's on the chair next to you. And I want you to write the words, my next step. My next step. We're not just going to leave this here today. We're going to do something with it. And so of all the things that we talked about today, I want you to write my next step and then a colon. What is that for you today? Do you need to ask God for some friends that can sharpen you? Do you need to start being that kind of friend? Do you need to take a step of faith and finally join a life group and let some people love you to get close to people? What's your next step? We need to ask God to soften up the walls of isolation that I've built around me. So the band's just going to play and just take a minute or so and really think about this before you run out. Just ask God, what's my next step today? What are you saying to me, God, and what am I going to do about it? Just take a minute and jot down a few notes. I want to encourage you to Take your bulletin and put it in your Bible where you see it this week. Put it on your dash, in your car, on your mirror. Somewhere you're going to see that note. And take that next step this week. That's my challenge to you. Start down that path. God has created you for healthy friendships. And in the end, we become even a healthier church. Another thing that healthy churches do is just be with God. Whether you sing or don't sing, whether you raise your hands or don't raise your hands, whether you do a touchdown or not, it doesn't matter what the people doing around, what they're doing around you. We are created to worship God and respond to his love that he's first shown us. So I just invite you to stand, every single one of us, let's stand and let's join the band as we worship together and just ask God, what are you saying to me this morning? Let's worship.